1: Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Thanks so much for listening in to us. Today's show is about food waste. I have Catherine Sizoff, who's the CEO of Strella, who are a biotech company that are engaged in some fascinating work that instruments the supply chain to cut the massive problem of food waste. And therein, There's an opportunity to help save the planet, uh, increase profits, and for all of us who consume food to give us better food, I recommend you this interview because, A, Catherine is super smart and just a very inspiring person to hear talk uh, as an entrepreneur. She's working on a really important problem, she and her team. Uh, I think this is a really interesting case study for entrepreneurs because there's some really central technology, but you can see some of the challenges that await any of us that look to commercialize technology in terms of um, the ecosystem, the supply chain, the integrations that need to get done. And um, her firm has done an amazing job. They've got some really cool investors um, and for that reason, Uh, I encourage, encourage you to listen to this conversation with Catherine. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot intelligence for everyday things powered by IoT Pixels. Well, Catherine, welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I am really looking forward to our chat. You've been doing some super interesting work on food and uh, reducing food waste um, with your company, Strella. And first of all, congratulations on coming up with a great company name. I Googled it and found the... the, the, the um, the company straight away, there were no collisions, it's novel, but I feel like I've been hearing the name of your company all my life. Where did you come up with, how did you come up with Strela?
2: Yeah, Strela is actually a Russian word, um, or derived from the Russian words, um, So if you look at a lot of the technological Russian innovations, they kind of have a similar nomenclature. Uh, so like, for example, the first dog that made it back from space in one piece was Strelka. Um, and so I think there's a lot of really good luck associated with, uh, uh, in my head with, with Russian words that are kind of of a similar lilt. Um, it means arrow in Russian, so it has a really straightforward connotation in my head, a little bit of that feminine, uh, sound in English. Um, and so I think that kind of encapsulates a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the company itself, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it seems to be, as a talisman or a good luck charm, it seems to be working for you, or maybe you're just very talented, driven, and uh, smart in terms of what you're, you're, you're doing, but y- you guys are doing really well, and uh, maybe we should get to the point, and I should allow you to share with us a bit about what Strella does.
2: Yeah, so at Strella, what we do is we build technologies that can predict how ripe produce is. So if you know what the actual shelf life of something that's perishable is, then you can do a better job organizing it within the supply chain. Um, The ultimate goal is to reduce food waste and supply the customer, which is us, with a better tasting fruit or vegetable.
1: And how do you figure out whether something's ripe or not?
2: Yeah, we have a lot of, at this point, we're building out a couple of different technologies. Um, so the core of it was a sensor that can basically intercept communications between fruits as they're ripening. So if you ever put an unripe banana next to a ripe one, you'll see that it ripens a lot faster than if it was by itself. And this is because fruits communicate with each other using uh gases. And what we've done is we've created a sensor that can intercept these communications and uh, basically hear what the fruit is telling us in terms of its maturity. We're also now applying some more fancy stuff like machine learning models and just straight up math to interpret uh, signals coming from fruits and vegetables um, and then basically turn that into An approximation of what their shelf life is, so where along their maturity they're located. And then using that information, we can kind of triage, if you will, what's going on in the supply chain. So if you have an apple that's going to go bad sooner than another one, you can kind of prioritize it in the queue of the supply chain to get it to the consumer first.
1: You're just blowing my mind. I, I thought, I, we kind of jokingly talk about what if your products could talk? Uh, and you're saying they actually, fruit is actually talking and they're not talking to us, they're talking to each other. Uh, is that like a figure of speech? Or, or, or are they? is there a, you know, a Darwinistic evolutionary advantage for one pair talking to another pair saying, I'm ripening, buddy?
2: Yeah, so we don't know the exact evolutionary mechanisms of uh, what goes on, but we do suspect that all of the fruit on a tree ripening at the same time is beneficial to it. So, for example, perhaps all of the apples falling from a tree at the same time make it more appealing to the deer to come and eat the seeds and then, you know, spread the mm-hmm. spread them uh, around geographically than if you're just dropping one apple at a time. Um, but for whatever reason. Um, Fruits and vegetables do communicate with each other and they like to signal how ripe they are.
1: And so you're listening into that conversation and what are the signs that you pick up that the ripening is happening?
2: Yeah, so the main uh, thing that we look at is a gas called ethylene Um, and ethylene emissions vary based on where the fruit is in its ripening stage and that's called a climacteric curve. So if you can basically map this curve of ethylene production uh, very accurately, then you can tell where in the life cycle um, a fruit or vegetable is.
1: And that's pretty amazing. Uh, How did you figure this out?
2: Um, I think, so my background is in molecular biology actually. And um, I started reading about food supply chains and the kind of the main thing that stood out was that where produce and a lot of perishables are biological organisms and they react as such. Um, But the way that the food supply change treats them is kind of like a static commodity object rather than a biological organism. And so I thought, what if we put on the lens of thinking about all of this produce as a biological organism and trying to understand how it was reacting to its environment based off of that kind of core intrinsic principle. Um, and so that's kind of read a lot of papers, did a lot of market research, and then ended up on, on this particular solution.
1: And you decided to start a company to um, commercialize some of the solutions that you you started Designing. I'm sure as you looked around for funding, you had to answer the question how big is the problem I'm solving? And how how big is that problem?
2: I would say uh, for so 30% of the food waste is generated by 10 commodities that we're currently targeting. Um, And if we can challenge uh, a lot of the kind of core processes in the three major points of the supply chain, uh, which are the supplier level, the retailer level, and the importer-distributor level, then our market in the United States is about $6.8 billion annually.
1: And how much food waste is there generally?
2: The carbon emissions on food waste are greater than that of all U.S. transportation combined. Um, It accounts for 7% of the global freshwater supply, 3% of all U.S. energy um, so 40% of all food is wasted before it's consumed. <laughs> there's a lot of really crazy stats or horrible stats, honestly, um, around food waste. Um, another one is if food waste was a country, it'd be the third largest GHG emitter after the United States and China. Uh, so massive problem and it doesn't really benefit anybody. You know, if you think about transportation, you know, there's pros and cons to driving a car somewhere. But food waste mm-hmm. doesn't really help anybody at all. And so that's one of those problems that I think is why I'm really passionate about it. Um, because ultimately, it's kind of a net loss for everybody. And it also impacts PLs and and our customers in a really negative way for profitability. Um, and so if you can marry both sustainability with profitability, I think that's when you can really make a huge impact.
1: It seems amazing. So first of all, it's like enormously heartening that there's a big problem that seems like it might have some solutions that would be uh, actionable because everyone wins, you know, uh, people, planet, profit. Uh, uh, They're all going to benefit if we uh, address this. Given that, given that, you know, we're supposed to be this amazing capitalist country, why are we sort of Why have we accepted uh, the level of food waste that exists, do you think?
2: I don't think we have accepted it. Um, You know, I I feel like that misconception happens a lot when people are like, well, you know, why don't farmers do better? And the reality is a farmer does everything they absolutely can, right? They've spent their blood, sweat and tears growing a crop. um, And it is an incredibly difficult job. And they're not looking to waste that. And neither is anybody else along the supply chain, because again, it shrink equals losses to your bottom line, right? Um, I think the problem is that right now our supply chain is really segregated. um, And each person is kind of acting like an individual actor, if you will. And uh, there needs to be a system wide optimization in order for us to actually eliminate a lot of these issues.
1: And what does system wide optimization look like?
2: Well, it kind of looks like what we're trying to do, which is to have a guardian, if you will, uh, of produce as it plays this gigantic game of hot potato uh, and passes from hand to hand to hand along the supply chain. um, And the way that that would look is collecting information, data, understanding what this produce item is doing, and then helping each person along the supply chain make the best decision for that produce item so that by the time it gets to the consumer, it's as good as it possibly can be.
1: And um, how uh, how's that going?
2: You know, it's really hard for me to have any metrics of internal success because I feel like I live under a rock. But I would, I would say that um, well, we're working with a number of suppliers and retailers now uh, to to optimize their food supply chains. We've seen a huge amount of improvements. So at the retailer level, we see about a fifty percent reduction in store level food waste, which is huge. We see a five times improvement in quality on the store shelf when we use our technology to make a smarter supply chain. And on the supplier side, we've been working for about five years with some of the largest apple and pear growers actually in the United States. And we've monitored over 2 billion pieces of fruit.
1: That's all incredibly impressive. Um, How are things going at the corporate development level? You're CEO of a uh, a, a startup, funding uh, who are your backers?
2: Yeah, um so we closed uh we've raised about eleven and a half million dollars of um institutional capital to date. Um our last round was a series A that we closed a couple months ago. Um our investors included Yamaha, um Google Ventures, riches products ventures, Millennium Tech Ventures, um, and a lot of other folks that, you know, had supported us through our seed round.
1: And when, so uh, y- y- let's talk a bit more about the focus. You, I think you mentioned that you can focus on a relatively small set of products and make a big difference. What, what are the products that you're focusing on?
2: Yeah, so I... The way that I would look at it is when you go to the grocery store where irks you the most, <laughs> so you've got your avocados, that's usually a big one, bananas, uh, kiwis, apples, pears, mangoes. So all of those kind of higher margin items that really, you know, tend to be a little bit volatile are the ones that we're, we're targeting. Tomatoes is another one.
1: What about strawberries and bananas? Bananas, bananas yeah. are a low margin, aren't they? Uh, yes,
2: but they're a very important driver because uh, bananas are kind of the first thing that you pick up when you go to the produce section. And a lot of shoppers, when the bananas aren't good, tend to be discouraged uh, shopping other produce. Oh. Um, it's a huge driver of sales, uh, even outside of the produce category itself. If you don't have good bananas, people aren't doing their, you know, weekly milk run, if you will, uh, to your grocery store. Um, so they're they a very, very important commodity. Um, berries, I like to call them the weird aunt of the produce family, if you will. They, they operate in an entirely different way. They don't emit ethylene. Um, and so a lot of our kind of core technology doesn't apply to that. But our R and D team is busy building solutions for those guys as well.
1: And how big is your company? Uh,
2: about eighteen full time now.
1: Awesome. And um, um, tell us a bit about more about the, the the way you implement your your systems. How do you measure the ethylene? How does that get communicated to systems? How do the systems get used? And, and we should talk about who your customers are as well, but uh, thats I've thrown enough at you to, to get your teeth into. Tell, tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have a sensor technology that measures the ethylene and then we use an IoT network to essentially communicate all of that data and information wirelessly into the cloud. Um, Then we go ahead and interpret and analyze that data. And then we either just output it onto like a standalone dashboard for some customers um, in a way that's actionable to them, or we integrate directly into an existing process if it's a larger customer, like a retailer. Um, So one of the kind of core use cases is in apples. So an apple can be stored for up to a year by the time it gets to a grocery store. And it's not done in any super crazy way. Um, it's just that if you take oxygen, if you put a fruit in a deoxygenated, cold environment, it can last for a year. At least an apple or a pear can. And so the the thing is that um, a person who does this is called a packer. They put millions of apples in storage in dozens of storage rooms. And they typically use a combination of some historical data and limited sampling to determine which apples can make it that year and which ones will turn into applesauce because not all apples can make it for that long. And the problem is that because you have such crazy seasonal variability, it's not always easy to predict what's going to happen. And so instead of uh, relying on kind of limited data sets, what we do is we listen to the fruit talk. Uh, And then based on that, we can tell a packer, hey, this room is going to be fully mature and starting to kind of decrease in quality in the next two months. And so that room should be prioritized over other rooms um, that still might have that shelf life and could keep going.
1: So you're working at the room level uh, in the the case of apples. And um, so that's, Sounds like it would be a solution that's just used by growers, but I'm thinking that you have other customers other than growers.
2: Yeah. So for apples, what we can then do is say, okay, well, we've sat with these apples for six to eight months um, by the time they've reached a Kroger or an Albertsons. And so we can say look, we have six to eight months of maturity data. What if we take this a step further and help the retailer uh, make a decision on what they're doing with that apple? So a retailer is not a supplier. They have very limited information. They're not experts in apples. They're managing hundreds of thousands of different SKUs of inventory. And so oftentimes a lot of the decisions they make are pretty rudimentary and not really based on the perishability of the product. And so what we do is we take that data that we've collected And we help the retailer also make sure that they're sending the right fruit at the right time to the right store.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: So I'm just trying to picture in my mind how this works because it's that you know, we're a show about IoT, and sometimes the best ideas uh, prove to be super difficult because of the structure of the ecosystem and the way it operates. Technically, you've got a solution, but can it actually fit the market? So I kind of get if I'm an apple grower, and it sounds like that's where you started, um, I can sequence when I open up these big storage rooms. Um, And if I'm at a Kroger how, how who is making the decisions about this and I think part of what was really intriguing to me uh, which kind of resonates with my own experience uh, where I work is this idea of ripest first and how do you how do you change a supply chain that's just kind of been at best working with first in first out often it isn't first in first out but how do you get the right information in front of the right people it's not just send a, a report to some person in a headquarters is it it's, uh,
2: no so you're totally right so the way that retailers currently operate is they'll go first in first out so the first truck of avocados into their distribution center is the one that gets sent to the grocery store first Um, What we do instead is when that truck gets accepted into that distribution center, we assign it a dynamic expiration date, if you will. And that way, all of their warehouse management software, everything that they use to basically organize inventory, now orders that produce based on expiration date instead of first in, first out. And that way you're sending um, the most mature produce to the grocery store shelf first. Depending on what the retailer gives us, we can take it a step further. Um, so, for example, if we knew the routes, if we know logistics routes, we can send fruit with shorter expiration dates uh, to shorter hauls. Um, we're also working on potentially integrating store level data. So, for example, if you have, uh, you know, maybe a lower income neighborhood that is really price sensitive, then you can send uh, certain Produce there, um, save money on waste, et cetera, give it to a community that wants it and needs it, Um, and then maybe reserve your higher margin crops and commodities for places that care about it. I mean, I've always wondered who needs that perfect red apple, honestly, you know, like that's something that some people really need. Other people are very price sensitive. And so if we have that level of data uh, store by store, then we can do a better job, not only, you know, reducing food waste, but also addressing different types of consumer needs.
1: Yeah, I think American consumers are very used to a kind of a perfect, uh, polished apple. Uh, and in other countries, then that's, you know, not the case. We're willing to accept ugly fruit because we think it's authentic and authentic. So forth. Are you operating? um, I mean, is that your experience? And are you operating mainly in the States?
2: Yeah, uh, we mostly work in the United States. And our major crops are apples, pears and bananas right now.
1: Very cool. So going back to the integration, because that's, again, what really is one of the things that really influenced me as, as a show that focuses on IoT entrepreneurs It sounds like the warehouse management system, the WMS, is—is that the system that you when you when you went beyond the grower, that was the integration point? How do you integrate with the WMS? What does it? What language is WMS's talk?
2: Oh my goodness! There's a whole lot of them. Most of them are uh, very ancient languages. Um, That's already, frankly speaking, not a good question for me to answer. Um, I have a team of. Developers that are far more articulate um, in this particular uh, in this particular area, but it's stuff like COBOL and
1: oh. uh,
2: Fortran and things like that. <laughs> so fun stuff.
1: Stuff that I learned when I was in college. Um, <laughs> so maybe there's a future for me in in development. Um, so you're actually writing API type integrations to these warehouse management systems, which may not be the newest warehouse management systems, but they're kind of well uh, well established. And then um, what are the other systems? So if you want to get, are, are, you, are you doing, how far have you got in terms of freshest first in terms of uh, um, the actual retail stores? What, what are the systems you integrate With uh... so
2: currently uh, the the two major things that we do in retail is when supply is coming into the retailer, uh, we ensure that that product has the appropriate shelf life to make it through the supply chain. So we'll do a map, for example, of a retailer and say, you know, the average time it takes for it to actually get to the store shelf and sold is twenty days, and then we work with the supplier to make sure that they're sending uh, apples or whatever that can make it all the way to the store shelf without compromising quality. So that's the first step. And then the second step is organizing and prioritizing inventory within the retailer supply chain, mainly using uh, dynamic expiration date in their warehouse management software.
1: And how far has the industry got to dynamic routing of deliveries? Because to me, this is one of the things we've got to move to if we're going to save the planet. We can't have massive trucks filled with, you know, 10 times as much of everything as is needed going to every location. We need small trucks with less stuff going to half the places, only going to where it needs to, to get to. And that's you know true whether you're doing uh, real-time inventory or um, freshest first. Are you, is anyone doing that or uh, are you having to wait for dynamic delivery to be implemented? Is that one of the things that holds back your expansion?
2: Um, we try to look for ways to work around that um, and ways to kind of work within a very static supply chain, like you said, inflexible supply chain. Um, the only one that I know that is capable of doing what you're talking about is Amazon's uh, supply chain. Um, but other than yeah. that, most traditional groceries absolutely do not have the capabilities. but but we do different things. So like one one problem that we face is that, let's say you have uh, more ripe avocado and a less ripe avocado, and you want to basically organize them within a distribution center so that you have a stack of more ripe avocados and a stack of less ripe avocados. Well, right now, the only way to really do that is to create two separate skews for those avocados. So you have like one skew of ripe avocado and one skew of underripe avocado. And so that's how we we work. Um, It's not... Depending on the retailer, it can be a pretty different implementation. Um, and the decision making points can be different. So, another example of what we do with retailers is there are some retailers that send product uh, overseas for, or even just to Puerto Rico or Hawaii. And mm-hmm. so, those hauls and transit times are significantly longer, and that's really easy to predict. And so, what we do is we just make sure that any pallets of produce that are sent to those longer hauls have a longer shelf life. And we know if they're designated for a certain region or location. And so we can make that decision up front.
1: Very cool. Um, what about partners? I, When I was reading about you um, a, a while back, I noticed you were featured on IBM's website. So uh, congratulations on that. Uh, what Can you say anything about... I assume you have a partnership with them or do they just like what you're doing and uh, decided to cover you.
2: I'm still a little befuddled um, as to our uh, relationship with IBM because we currently don't really work with IBM in any capacity. Um, I think they were just pretty interested in our story um, and they wanted to feature us as new creators (laughs) on their website, which is so awesome.
1: Yeah, that is great. And good on them for uh, doing it. I mean, they've got this food trust thing. I was wondering whether you were integrating with blockchain systems and all that sort of fancy stuff.
2: Currently, we don't, but I would love to work with them in the future. I think so far, we've been, uh, we've been advertising, but (laughs) not working.
1: And what are the key dependencies on growth for you? Where do you want to take the company in the next couple of years?
2: So uh, obviously moving across different commodities, uh, so providing solutions for multiple different types of crops, and then figuring out what sorts of additional data we can use. Uh, So to your earlier point, um, what else can we do? Okay, let's say logistics and dynamic uh, shipping isn't something that's readily available to us. There are other things that we can do. We can start integrating into demand planning. Um, We're kind of more on the supply planning side, if you will. But what happens if we integrate market data and customer decisions and what's happening on the store shelf in terms of inventory into our decision making
1: um, Can you say a bit more about that so demand planning who's the customer that would be using demand planning
2: so both the retailer and the supplier uh, typically use demand planning it's just uh, it's just on the other side so we're dealing what we do is we deal with a variable supply if you will so we're helping a retailer and a supplier understand what their supply actually looks like. And then the both the retailer and the supplier use demand planning to forecast how much they think they will need to sell or to buy. So if a retailer doesn't do demand planning correctly, then they'll have either overstock shelves, which will mean more food waste, or mm-hmm. understock shelves, which means less sales. And so figuring out how much consumers want Um, and being able to adequately supply that um, is super important. And so what could we do with that additional data set if we linked both the supply uh, to demand planning?
1: Very cool. Well, this has been really interesting, Catherine. Uh, Is there anything I should have asked you to give uh, listeners a better picture of what you're doing?
2: I think the easiest way uh, to think about the supply chain is by um, who owns the product, because then it then it becomes pretty easy to see who cares about food waste uh, and quality improvements so once it's been handed off from the supplier it gets to the retailer and the retailer now owns the fruit and so if anything happens to it then they have an impact on their PL. and so that's how we basically segment the supply chain is who is currently the steward if you will of of this produce item and who who is it going to hurt um if you if you don't end up selling it or we're moving it along the chain. I think the last piece is also to the earlier point that food waste is, is not something that any individual company or institution can really address by themselves. It does kind of require a little bit of a concerted effort on behalf mm-hmm. of the entire system um, in order to make an improvement, which is oftentimes very challenging when you have you know a buyer a buyer-supplier relationship or um, a chain that just typically doesn't communicate with one another, but it absolutely is is where we need to be going in the future.
1: So it's funny, we have this tradition of asking, I guess, about the, the first three, uh, their favorite three songs. And um, uh, I try and give people warning, but for Better or worse, sometimes the message doesn't get through. So I know you've had had had, had no time to think about this, but um, Catherine, what would you say your three favorite songs are, one at a time? And I like to ask people why, because otherwise it's like it doesn't. Really I'm not doing this because I don't have enough things to listen to. It's a, it's a, it's an exercise <laughs> to get to know you a little better. Fair um,
2: enough. Um, I would say uh, my. One of my favorite songs is While My Guitar Gently Weeps uh, by the Beatles. Um, I think one of the reasons why I like it is that the lyrics are something that I can return to at many different parts of my life, and I feel like they have relevance. Um, I also, if you've ever seen Prince playing that song, it's incredible. Uh, It sent goosebumps uh, down my Shivers down my spine when I had first seen it, um, and I also just love uh, songs that feature like some pretty strong guitar uh, in them. Do you um, play also... any
1: musical instruments yourself?
2: Not really. I don't really have talent for it. I tried piano for a long time, but uh, it's just not, unfortunately, not as not as talented as like my brother or <laughs> other people. So, mm-hmm. but um, but I I do I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy strong guitar uh, mm-hmm. focused music. Um another one kind of in that similar vein would be Mary Jane's last dance, uh, Tom Petty's song, which I know is a classic for a lot of people, but I actually only heard of Tom Petty a couple years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I did not grow up with a lot of American music actually oh. um, and I love it. I love that kind of classic rock uh, sound. And what then, sort uh, of what
1: sort of music did you grow up with?
2: Um. I would say a lot of like Pink Floyd, uh, kind of more experimental uh, music. Pro- progressive uh, rock. So so,
1: uh, so English music or just?
2: Uh... Yeah, some, some English music, like you said, some kind of progressive acid rock. Uh, my dad was a big fan of like Madonna. And <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, so I listened to a lot of what my dad liked and he's a big audiophile. So um, I remember one of the most kind of, uh, one of the most interesting moments of my life with my father was, you know, I asked him, why do you have these humongous speakers? He had like these floor to ceiling, uh, monoplanal speakers, uh, in our living room. And I'm like, these are huge and ugly. Why do you have them? <laughs> um, and he sat me down in the middle of the, in the middle of our living room and played, uh, time by Pink Floyd. Oh. And the sound of all of those clocks at the oh, beginning yeah. was so, you could hear like every little tiny, tick uh, of all these different clocks um and it was so unique and then he proceeded to play an album of just sounds like the sound of a train going by um and it it was so transformative so um yeah big, big thanks to my father for introducing me to to high quality music <laughs>
1: excellent yeah i'm i'm i wouldn't say I'm an audiophile but i do like dabbling in that space. I've got a a tube amp, you know, it's got these valves, so it looks very retro, but uh, and it takes about a minute to actually turn on. But uh, for some reason, it makes me enjoy listening to the music. I'm not sure I could tell the difference, but uh, between that and uh, a conventional uh, amplifier. But anyway, okay, well, that's super interesting. And number three, what's your third choice?
2: I would just to be a little different, I would put uh, like from the other ones, I would put um, Right Here, Right Now by Fatboy Slim. Um, I would say that's the most hype song for me. You know, I can get into a very, like I can get into a mood with that song, whether it's working out or if I need to get some stuff done. If I listen to that song, I'm like totally motivated to keep going.
1: <laughs> I love that that uh, that song and I love the album that it's off of. And I heard him being uh, interviewed by... Oh, what's his name? Is the one of the founding members of the Sex Pistols, uh, who, who now lives in LA, and he was uh, talking to Fatboy Slim, and uh, it was great to actually hear um, about uh, his creative process, which apparently consists of taking a lot of drugs. And he's, I think, you know, success in rock music is either being able to resist taking a lot of drugs or being able to function highly whilst taking a lot of drugs, and. In his case, it seems to be the latter. So <laughs> Yes, um,
2: it seems like you can get to enlightenment in a couple of different ways. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, that was wonderful. Thanks very much for, for sharing that, Catherine. Yeah, of course. Very good. Well, uh, once again, thanks for talking with us. Uh, super interesting. Uh, congratulations on your success. I hope you uh, uh, continue in that direction. Um, uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. It was uh, it was awesome, um, and uh, I love it when um, younger people uh, appreciate older people's music. Uh, and I, I also enjoy learning stuff, and there's a lot I learned from that. Uh, if you enjoy learning uh, and you feel like it helps your entrepreneurial skills, your solution design skills, then please do continue to listen to our show. Tell your friends about it and tell the world about it via whatever um, um, podcasting social platforms you use. We really appreciate your listening. Most of all, that's the most important thing. Um, So um, thank you for that. And we'll see you next time.